Amen. Well, good morning. As Jordan said, my name is Lisa. I have a privilege of being part of the teaching team here at Family of Grace. So uh, this morning, well, I want to this week, I just got back from a road trip to Colorado. My children and my dog and I uh, and my husband at different points, my mom at some points all drove from Oregon to Colorado to visit my sister. And honestly, we all did pretty well on a 20 plus hour road trip each way. But as happens, right, on road trips, my kids after 10 hours in the car, would ask, well, Mom, are we there yet? And my standard answer is, well, we're closer than we've ever been before, right? To which they would say, but Mom, are we there yet? <laughs> How much longer, right? And in the past, I've shared some of my road trip stories uh, in my teaching because I went on a lot of road trips with my dad growing up. He, he took any excuse to make something into a road trip. And I think that he passed on that love of road trips to me. My husband, Devin, he will laugh at me because I also seem to have my dad's ability to remember all these random details as we're driving across the interstate. Like, ooh, that town, I stayed there 20 years ago. Ooh, that's where we got gas that time. And I, I just am filled with joy <laughs> to share with my children and the next generation all of these memories I have, the good and the bad along Interstate 80. I love that my sister even was like, oh, make sure you stop at this rest area. It is my favorite rest area. So I think, I think it is a, a family trait that we have gotten from my dad. Um, I wanted to share, let's see. Uh, this was one of my favorite moments when I realized that uh, the middle part of our country was full of stinker gas stations. And I was just every time, oh, we should stop at stinker. So anyway, that gives you a little picture of what it's like on a road trip with me. But <laughs> um, well, today we're looking in Deuteronomy, right? And the nation of Israel has been on this 40-year journey in the wilderness, and they are about to reach their destination. And surely they have been asking Moses, right, are we there yet for quite some time? And here Moses is rehashing the law and these messages that God has been teaching these people throughout their journey. But the next generation, they need to hear again this message of God. And last week, Jordan was teaching, we were reading through the chapters 1 to 3. Moses was reminding the people where they have come from, the battles they fought, and the journey they've taken to get to this place where they are now. Ever so important, right? Because this generation, they weren't the ones who were at Mount Sinai. They didn't get to hear the covenant law from God. It was their parents. So Moses is, is going to begin giving them this law again, a new telling for them to hear and pass on to their children and grandchildren. But before we get really into this law, Moses has one more sermon on the importance of following after Yahweh. So we read today in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and go and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to what I command and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands the Lord your God I give you. And throughout this book of Deuteronomy, we hear this word here, right? And it's something, if you look for it, it's, it comes up over and over. And this means it's not just to hear, but it means to listen and to obey. I think like a coach says to his team, right, listen up, right, when he's about to give them the winning play that's going to bring the team to victory. And I will tell you, I am not a big sports fan, 
but I do like watching sports movies. So I know, right, when you head to the locker room at halftime and the team is down and they're going into the second half of the game, right, everybody is looking to their leader for some wise words. And Moses is telling the people to listen. They get another chance. They can still win this land, right? In fact, they will because God will give it to them, right? God has given them the playbook, but the people need to know it and to live it out. They are guaranteed victory when they follow with obedience. And it's a pretty powerful message. But then Moses continues with a warning. Verse 3. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. So he reminds them of this incident that we read back in Numbers 25. Do you remember there was this strange story, right, of Balaam and his donkey speaking? Balaam was hired to curse the nation of Israel by the leader of Moab, Balak, because Balak saw who God was, and he was afraid of what he would do to the people of Moab. And even this foreign leader recognized God's power, but instead of following after God and turning to him, he doubled down, and he tried to curse the people of Israel. But Balaam couldn't curse the people of, because God wouldn't let him. God would only bless the people of Israel. However, the king was sneaky, and when they couldn't turn God against his people, they turned the people against God. Revelation 2.14 gives us a little commentary onto what was happening here. It says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. God would not allow others to curse the nation of Israel, but Balak found a way to turn the people against God by tempting them with the women of Moab. Numbers 25. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women, who invited them to the sacrifices of their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. So these women are used to turn the Israelites away from Yahweh and to worship the God at Peor. Most likely, this is some kind of fertility god, and so these acts of feasting and sexual immorality are actually tied to the worship of this god. And we get this awful story of 24,000 Israelites being put to death because of their idolatry, including some very graphic images of a priest putting a spear through a man and a woman in a very compromising act. It's an awful story. And why are these people killed? Well, Moses says, Numbers 25, verse 5, Moses said to the Israel's judges, each of you must put to death those of your people who have yoked themselves to the ball of Peor. The people turned from the one true God, and they worshipped another deity, specifically this God at Peor. And I think that these acts of sexual immorality are tied directly to the worship of this God. And there's some really disturbing things when you read about the gods that are worshipped in the Egypt and Canaanite peoples. They're, they're really not fit for a PG sermon. But I will summarize with this. I think the gods and the idols worshipped involved fertility and use of bodily fluids, all kinds of disgusting things that Yahweh wanted nothing to do with. So I don't believe that these 24,000 people simply lost their lives because they were tempted by beautiful women. It's because they were worshipping another god. 
and they tied themselves to another deity, and then they brought that into the camp where Yahweh God dwells. So surely Moses bringing up this now, right, it's going to be a powerful reminder to the people of Israel, the real cost of turning from Yahweh. It illustrates what Moses started his speech with. You follow the covenant law so that you may live and go and take possession of the land. There's very real consequences from turning from the Lord. Moses goes on to say in verse 5, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations, who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? So why does Moses tell them they need to follow these laws and commands? One, it will show their wisdom and understanding to the nations. And two, it'll show all nations the kind of God that Israel serves. It's amazing <laughs> to have a God who hears and responds to you. The God of Israel dwells with his people. God makes a way to be with his people. Uh, I am far from an expert on any other kind of mythology, but as I was thinking about other deities, I, I was reminded of a Marvel movie, or a Marvel show, excuse me, that I saw called Moon Knight. Uh, and I, <laughs> I, this show on Disney+, Plus, I'm, I don't know that I am full-heartedly recommending it to you. You do your own judgment, but... Um, it is entertaining, but it is about a superhero who is possessed by an Egypt, Egyptian deity, and he's forced to do this work of this god and reenact revenge, and it gives him these superhuman powers while he's possessed by this god. But I think uh, what I, if you want to know more details, I say you can ask Eric. I know there's a few people who really like this. I'm sure I'm leaving, I'm leaving out lots of things, so you can correct me later. But, but when you think about these other deities, the kinds of gods, right, that these people serve, the gods in Egypt would be using the people for their pleasure or their power or their revenge, or they're just not even interested in the people at all, not like Yahweh is, right? And you think about the Greek mythology. These gods are too busy enjoying their own pleasures, actively leading and guiding the people, like Yahweh is actively leading and guiding the people of Israel. So he asked these people to obey and follow him because he wants to dwell with them. The law of God is not an exhaustive list of rules to live by. The law is created and given by God to create wisdom and guidance so that his people will live, and all those who see this nation of Israel will see God's character. So when you read these laws, it's important to recognize the culture that they're being given in and compare that to the laws of the other nations. When we look at the things that God values and teaches us, we get to see God's character. I don't think that the law would feel like a burden to the people of Israel, but rather it's a guidance and a way to live. From my cultural perspective, right, these laws feel kind of overwhelming when I read them because I'm not used to ritual cleansing and sacrifices, but I don't think that would be strange to the Israelite community. The reality is these laws give them more agency and freedoms compared to the other nations, right? These nations that involve their God involve temple prostitutes and animal entrails, <laughs> disgusting things. And Yahweh wants nothing to do with that. 
right? But so stay with me, right? These next few weeks, we're going to read this law, and I encourage you to think about what you see in God's character, what he values. Moses continues in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Only be careful. Watch yourselves closely that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. I love that he's speaking to a generation, right, who doesn't have their parents with them. So they're, they're going to, he's talking about living in the land a long time. You get to meet your grandchildren. Their parents did not, right? Remember the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when he said to me, assemble the people before me uh, and hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow and wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. It's interesting that Moses now speaks to the people about something they saw with their own eyes. But this generation wasn't at Horeb, right? also known as Mount Sinai. So there is this, this interesting sense that he's speaking to more than just this group of people who are hearing the words on the banks of the Jordan that day. I would suggest he is speaking to all who are reading the Torah, all who are still waiting for the full promise of God to be fulfilled. So Moses speaks more, right, about this law. Verse 15 says, You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the fire. Therefore watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not make corrupt, become corrupt and make an, yourselves an idol, any image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman, or like any animal on the earth, or any bird that flies in the air, or like any creature that moves along the ground, or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them. And worshiping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven? But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron-smelting furnace, out of Egypt, to be the people of his inheritance, as you are now. Do these words sound familiar? As I read through this, I hear the creation narrative from Genesis 1 and 2, right? All the things that God has created. He separated the waters. He put the sun and the moon, he, the things that are on the, on the ground and in the water, right? All these things are created by God, and they are good, but they are not to be worshipped. They are not to be made into idols. Why? Because God has put people through an iron-smelting furnace, how do you make one of these gods, right? You melt the iron. This is this metaphor. He's saying he is forming them into his image. Man and women are the image of God, and he has been refining his people into a nation of priests. All other creation should point to their creator, but to this nation of Israel, they should act as the image of the one true God. What a beautiful metaphor. Moses continues in verse 21. The Lord was angry with me because of you. 
And he solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land the Lord your God has given you as your inheritance. I will die in this land. I will not cross the Jordan. But you are about to cross over and take possession of that good land. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Again, Moses rewards them, right? Do not commit adultery. Uh, don't commit adultery. Don't commit idolatry. Excuse me. Uh, and Moses is not going to be there to remind them of God's faithfulness, right? And God is faithful. He's made this covenant, and they will go into the land. But they must also remember this covenant and remember to worship God alone. The image of God being a jealous God doesn't always sit well with me. But God is not petty. He is not a jealous boyfriend who doesn't want his girlfriend to spend time with anyone else and therefore manipulates her to control her. In my human experience, I associate jealousy with insecurity. But this is not how Moses is describing God. This is more about God not tolerating anything that falls short of his standards. Though not a perfect example, this makes me think of how Disney deals with their brand protection. You don't mess with Disney. As many of you may know, I began working as a travel advisor this year, and while I don't work directly for Disney, I, I do sell their products, and so I had to do some training. And there's a lot of things that you cannot do, and there's consequences if you do those things. So for example, did you know that you cannot dress as an adult in a princess costume and visit the parks? Right? They don't want you to confuse someone's idea of a princess with the true character that they have created. There is only one Mickey Mouse, there's only one Cinderella, and it ain't you. <laughs> so even in print ads, right, you cannot put writing or other images over these iconic Disney images, the castle, whatever. You, you can picture it, right? They protect these things because they are worth something, and they don't want anyone to have a bad experience with a rude guest dressed as Rapunzel when that's not the true char character they've created. So they protect the image, and they do not accept lesser versions. Do not mess with Disney. <laughs> there are lots of other deities and spiritual beings in these cultures, but they do not compare to the true God. So if the people of Israel try and mess around with these other deities, God will not stand for it because the people are to be the representative of his image. And it matters that they stay true to God's character. But Moses knows, that the, knows the people, and he understands God's plans, and so he speaks to the future. Verse 25. After you have had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and arousing his anger, I call the heavens and the earth as witness against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. Again, idolatry is the center issue here. Moses knows that they will continue to struggle right, as a nation, and indeed this is exactly what happens. Israel will go into exile, just like Adam and Eve in the garden were given a chance to follow God, 
to listen and obey to his commands, right? but they chose to do what was right in their own eyes. So will the people of Israel. They will turn to other gods that can't do anything for them. These other gods don't listen to the voices of their people because they can't hear or speak. But just as with Adam and Eve, God is faithful and he continues to provide hope in the midst of the curse. Verse 29. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. Unlike Disney, God is always faithful to his promises, and God is merciful and he will not abandon his people. He gives them what they desire. When they want to be like the other nations, when they want to follow these other gods, he lets them. But when they turn to him, they will find him. There is no one like God. And Moses goes on to point this out to the people. Uh, oops, I didn't read that. Verse 31, for the Lord your God is a merciful God, and he will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. Now ask, uh, ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day a God created human beings on the earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testing, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds? Like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Beside him there is no other. From heaven he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth he showed you his great fire and you heard his words from out of the fire. Because he loved your ancestors and chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength to drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you and to bring you into their land and give it to you for your inheritance as it is today. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commands, which I am giving you today, so that you may go, so that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. Amen. <laughs> this book of Deuteronomy connects these ideas of listening and loving. We love God, so we listen to his words. The people are to obey God's command because he loves them. When we listen to God, he listens to us. These other gods don't listen or hear, right? But our God does listen and love. So our response to him is to listen and love. It really is astounding that God would choose to come and dwell with his people, right? Both in the tabernacle in the desert and with Jesus walking this earth and ultimately in the Holy Spirit in us. God is the same yesterday today and forever. He loves us, and he wants to be with us. If we really understood how precious we are to God, how much he loves us and cares for us, how would that change how we live? 
there really is no one else like him. Moses ends his message here, setting up these cities of refuge. Verse 41, Then Moses set aside three cities east of the Jordan, to which anyone who had killed a person could flee if they had unintentionality, unintentionally killed a neighbor without malice afterthought. They could flee into one of these cities and save their life. The cities were these, Azar in the wilderness, Plateau for the Reubenites, Ramoth and Gilead for the Gadites, and Golan and Bashan for the Massonites. He set up three of these, right? And if you remember, we talked about these in the book of Numbers. These are cities that are set up for a place of sanctuary and safety from human judgment. Because all human life is made in God's image, they are not to shed innocent blood, even if someone is to murder another, right, with no ill intent. While the cultures around them said that you pay blood for blood no matter what, God values life and would not allow for the shedding of innocent blood. God will give justice, but it is not on human terms. It is on his just terms. So what do we learn from this speech of Moses? Well, he is speaking to the generation that is about to inherit the land. That there is a way that these words are written for anyone waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise. Just as Adam and Eve were given a choice to follow after God and obey his commands, Moses reminds this generation that they have a choice who they will follow. Will they follow God and his faithful, merciful covenant that leads to life? Or will they seek other idols and images that are mere reflections of God's creation? We too get to make that decision. Who will we choose to follow? These words and ideas are repeated throughout scripture because the choice is the same. Who will we follow? Will we allow God to determine what is right and wrong? Will we turn to God and follow him? What does that mean in our lives? These words of Moses should comfort us, brothers and sisters in Christ. We can be sure of the salvation that we have in Christ. Right? Just as Moses is saying in this speech, verse 29, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. The same message is true when the people are in exile. This is what Moses predicted, right? And the prophet Jeremiah, he speaks God's words of hope amidst the troubled times of exile and judgment. Jeremiah 29, 11 to 14. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Jesus then tells his followers, then when we seek him, when you pray to God, he will listen and he will be with us. Matthew 18, 19 to 20. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. And finally, in the end of times, Jesus will also be with us, the one who gives eternal glory. Revelation 3, 19 to 21. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. 
Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. We can be confident that when we turn to God and seek him, we will find him. I was just driving along the interstate. And when you get on the highway and you are going east, it is not easy to change your mind and go west. You have to find an exit and actively turn around. And I believe that following God is like this. You turn to him when you repent. You commit to going in his direction and you follow after him and obey his commands and you just keep going. If you are going towards God, you can't miss him unless you turn around. You are not going to just accidentally walk away from God if you are seeking him. When you seek him, you will find him. This law is given to the people of God. It's like a road map. It gives wisdom and understanding, and it shows them to listen and obey and the way to go. And if you follow the map, you ultimately will get where you want to go, where God is leading these words of Moses are comforting because we too are waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. We are not fully back into the garden where we get to enjoy his presence. Sometimes I feel like my children, right? But God, are we there yet? <laughs> and just like I try and respond to my children, God reminds us, not yet, child, but keep going. We will get there. We are called to obedience, but that obedience is not a burden. God knows that the people of Israel will not follow him and the law, and they will turn to other gods. Just as God knows that we're not going to get everything right. His message is not one of just keep trying harder until you get it. It is a message of peace that says, come, abide with me. Jesus has come and he has changed the game. This ultimate sacrifice that changed the temple, right? It split that curtain in two and the God was no longer separated from his people. He now lives in us. And once we had to follow maps on paper, right? Now we get that map. It's speaking directly to us on our cars or our phones, just like the Holy Spirit. He changes our hearts. The law matters because it shows us who God is. And obedience comes from following God. I think that, like all things, Paul just talks about it better. So I want to read in Romans 2 a little bit about this. Romans 2, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who have persisted in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immorality, in, excuse me, immortality, he will give eternal life. <laughs> yeah, different meaning there. <laughs> but those who seek are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. Paul is saying it matters what you do, who you are seeking, both Jew and Gentile, right? Both the nation of Israel and for the other nations, for us, who are the Gentiles, right? If you are seeking God, if you are doing good, you will find God. But if you are seeking self and you reject God, you will find that too. And he goes on to talk about the law. Verse 12, for all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law 
will be judged by the law. But it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they have a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. The law, right, the Torah <laughs> points us to God, but you have to obey it. Just as those who weren't under the law, <laughs> in the words of you know, the non-Jewish nations, they also obey these things because it is what's right. Both will be found righteous because they obey God and have turned to him. It matters what we do. We are called to obedience, but it is not about the law itself. It is about living in obedience to the one the law points us to. The law should point us to God, to his character. And I encourage you to listen for that these next weeks as we read the retelling of the covenant law. The focus is not on all the ways you can mess things up. The message is God is a just and merciful God, and you get to be part of his image to the world when you follow him. We rejoice in the amazing things that God has done for us. And my prayer is that as we read God's word together, we continue to rejoice in amazement as we sing in the worship of our creator. This should bring us joy and confidence that God will carry out what he promised to do. Just as he will bring the people into the promised land, one day we will be united with him and live at peace. When you turn to him, you will find him. Don't accept anything less than the true God. The other nations saw God, and instead of turning to him, they wanted to control and destroy him because it challenged their way of life. Like Balak in Moab, he saw the power of God, but instead of worshiping God and following him, he tried to exercise his own power and authority. And the only way the people of God were destroyed was when they turned away from God. Don't be distracted by counterfeits. What an amazing thing we get to act as God's witness to the world. What do people see when they look at you? Do they see God's justice and mercy? Do they see the fruits of the Spirit? Honestly, I want to encourage you that I see those things in you. I see the hard work of those of you who are raising your children. Today, we have two single men who do not have children of their own who are loving and teaching the children of the church. Why? Because God values children, and so they serve God and his people by loving the children. I see the patience and self-control of parents lovingly playing and directing their children even when they are tired and distracted and just want a nap. I see, that's me, right? I see the endurance of those who felt in physical pain today showing up because you care about the community of God. I see those of you who are giving and sacrificing your time and money to further the work of the church and God's people because you trust that God will provide for you. And I see those of you working hard, praying before your jobs and for your coworkers that you will do your job with excellence. Honor your boss because you want to be faithful with the gifts God has given you. And you may not feel like it, but you show up because it matters to honor your word. Much like a playbook for a sports team or a roadmap that shows us the way, the covenant law shows us how we can faithfully live in a way that glorifies our God and shows his wisdom to others. Be encouraged. 
If you are seeking God, you will find him. Keep going and don't grow weary of doing good. Let us love others because God has loved us. Friends, we are not there yet, but we are closer than we have ever been before. Let us pray. God, we just rejoice in who you are, your character, your love that endures forever. Nothing can separate us from you. Help us to turn our hearts to you, to see more of you, so that we can love more of others. In Jesus' name, amen.